What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host, the grayest beard, the bearded wonder from Kansas. How you doing tonight, Elliot? Tell the the grayest of beards needs a trim, man. This whole <laughs> quarantine thing with no haircuts, I'm about ready to have my wife cut my hair. I can't stand it. It's driving me nuts. I don't know. I watched uh, control. I watched a beard, a beard. I watched a video with your beard. From last year, I think it was a podcast, and it was probably triple that length. Yeah, I got it. Did it got well? See, I don't mind it getting bigger. It's it's the it's the on it's not being trimmed. It's like the on the sides being shaggy that that bugs me. But yeah, I had it really last year around this time was about its max. I cut it. Yeah, right around then. <laughs> I'm cool with it going it bigger again. I just don't. I just it's the shortness on the sides that I like. If you would and have... around my like the mustache around my mouth, I yeah. can't stand. Like when you don't have mustaches hang over the upper lip. You don't have tremors? Well, I do, but uh, you know, to properly to to do it properly, I don't trust myself. I do trust my wife. I'm gonna have her do it. Mm. I'm gonna have her do it. So what do you normally go? Do you go to a barbershop or something? Yeah, I got well, I go to Great Clips, but I got the same girl that I go to named Sam. And uh, I've gone to her for like three or four years. So, and she always does it no matter what. If Even yeah. if they're like really busy, I just wait for her. You must have like a unique situation because I've gone to Great Clips for years and I don't think I've ever seen the same person twice. <laughs> yeah, it's normally like that. The They change it. The changeover is crazy. But this one place in my town, it's pretty consistent. You get about the same. There's about nine people that work on that thing. But you get about the same four or five that are in there every time. See, there's a, a barber shop um, in a small town nearby, and I've, I went there a few times, a couple times. I don't know if I went there two or three times, but it's, I mean, it's pretty great. I mean, they're hunters, um, you know, they give the, the whole thing with like, I don't know, the, the whole barbershop treatment, I would say. Um, but like, if you have to be willing to like wait, like sometimes like two hours, I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> That's great clips. Oh it is. man, no way. No way. <laughs> I remember showing up at 7.30, and it was like, it's just, you know, it's not. Even then, I had to wait. Like, I was, like, fourth in line or something stupid. Like, so, yeah. If it's going to be that kind of wait, they should just go ahead and get a liquor license and then just have, like, a, it's like a barbershop, so you can, like, hang out and have a couple beers while you wait for your hair trim or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about going to work, you know, like that, but. <laughs> what do you mean going to work like that? I mean, I was going pre-work, you know. Oh, we're going after work. Yeah. That'd be a place. When I was a kid, I went to a barber shop, and the guy that cut my hair, he was awesome. He was like hunted bear with a bow, and he was like a manly man, you know, and and I just, I, I just really, he was such a stud, I remember him. Mm. But the great thing about Great Clips, and we should probably not talk about Great Clips too long on this, <laughs> sponsored by Great Clips, but it's that you can get a, uh, you, you, um, get on the internet and you can wait in line and they'll tell you how long the wait is. So if it's like 30 minutes, I just cancel it. This is five, five tips for getting your hair cut. Yeah. Very riveting. We were actually having a decent conversation before we started recording. Before and it got derailed. Great clips. And now all we want to do is talk about haircuts. I'm lucky. Luckily for me, I went like right when Indiana put in the band, like for restaurants and everywhere. I'm like, well, barbershops and, Haircutting places are going next, so I'm getting my haircut now. 
So hopefully I make it past when they turn everything on. So either that or I don't know. I'll just have to grow out a mullet. Yeah, my wife's gonna do it. She's already been talking about watching some videos on it because it's getting out. Of, it's getting out of control. Are you, are you gonna me. grow? I, I just can't stand the feels. You going for the mullet? No, but I had an awesome mullet in high school. Have you seen pictures of that? No. I will find one and I'll put it on um, Fellowship of the Duck Gun. You listeners, if you want to um, come over to our Facebook group, Fellowship of the Duck Gun, it's a great community. Lots of posts going on over there. I'll put my high school. I hadn't yet realized that there was something called gel that you could put in your hair. And so my hair was really thick and frizzy on top. And then I had a sweet mullet in back. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. But I wasn't the only one. I mean, this was like late 80s, early 90s. So like lots of people had mullets. Mm. Hmm. So, you know, they're coming back now, the mullet. Yeah, I believe it. I can see you with a pretty sweet one (laughs) with your beard. I don't know. I don't know if my wife could see it. <laughs> Some point in time, I'm going to have to grow one back just for old time's sake. Yeah. Might as well grow it out for the Flyways Collective collab. Start now. I have to. Th- I might have to think about that. That might be a deal. I think every uh, every inch is like another 100 subscribers or something. <laughs> Like... <laughs> so with mine, I used to measure it. I could pull it from my mullet from the back and it would go <laughs> like past my ear hole to like the very front of my ear. So if you take the back of your hair, you could bring it around. It would go in front of my ear hole. That's about <laughs> how far I got. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't horribly long. <laughs> no shoulder <laughs> length or anything like that. <laughs> so moving on to better things, man, are you excited about our guest tonight? Oh, yeah. No, I think uh, we've I'm talked about it before, and um, I always tell you he's one of one of our favorite guests, um, not only because of his, um, you know, his awesome dog training knowledge, but, uh, um, you know, also he's, he's in a prime, awesome location when he talks about his hunting adventures. Mm-hmm. But uh, not only that, but um, his stories from when he was childhood were just, uh, just, you know, it's just a different time and place, and it really brings you back kind of hearing those stories. So definitely one of my uh, favorite guests from the past. Yeah. And we are talking about Chris Jobman from Flatlander Kennels is where's the kennel that I got my pup Georgie from. And so we're going to have him on and we're going to talk about um, training to e-collar. We're going to talk about force fetch. And also I want to talk about their hunting this year. Cause I don't know if you saw um, a lot of their posts or not, but it looked like on the, the river up there, they were smashing them this year. Yep. Yeah, so that'd be that'd definitely be exciting to hear all about all that. <laughs> I was a little bit selfish when I decided what I wanted the topics to be because it just strange coincidence. I just got an e an e collar, and I'm just moving into force fetch. So <laughs> odd topic choices. <laughs> yeah, no, no for this not podcast. at all. <laughs> think you've been i think you've mentioned it probably a few times every week since we've had him on how you're uh, ready to talk about those things so um we'll definitely yeah. know you're chomping at the bit to kind of get um i guess some firsthand information um you know right from the the source the experts on that so uh and you know we'll bring our audience and our uh our listeners along with us to hear about all about it so uh, definitely a good topic. You know, a lot of people, when they think about force fetch, it's almost like something that sounds like 
witchcraft or, <laughs> or mm-hmm. you know, dark magic, something that's really not that well understood by a lot of people, I don't think. So, um, you know, and probably you and me are in the same boat on that. So definitely, a, you know, we'll be good to go over that. Yeah, it's. I'm really interested in talking. We were supposed to have him on here, what, two, three? We kept having it canceled. Um, he had to cancel once because he had a death in the family. And then we had to cancel um, a couple times. So I just actually started Georgie on Force Fetch, or I'm sorry, on eCaller two weeks ago. So I feel now, after I talk, we talked to Chris, I may have to realize that I'm not done with the eCaller training, but I feel like I'm done. Um, she fully understands what it means. I've trained her to it on sit here, heal, place, um, those four things. So, and she's just, she's gold with it. I mean, she is really, really responding well to it. And so, um, I, I hope that I've done it properly. And so I'm, I'm ready to move into force fetch, which I, I ran Izzy through force fetch and Izzy went through with flying colors. Um, you know, it's really not hard on dogs if you do it properly. It's just like everything else, like an e-collar or, or whatever. If you know how to implement something, and you can keep your cool and not get frustrated. It's it's not hard on a dog. I mean, force fetch was not difficult on Izzy at all. There was no, there was a little bit of ear pinch, and that's it. I mean, it really wasn't a big deal. Mm. But you've never, you didn't take Chief through force fetch, did you? I have not, so I don't have a lot of input on it. <laughs> yeah, well, you have a lot of questions, you know. And um, Chris has tailored his program over 20 years of experience so i told him when i was talking to him he needs to put out some type of instructional guide because he he kind of i mean his system is going to be similar to like chris akins and and freddie king's as far as pressure system but i mean he does things his own way too so it's going to be fascinating yep oh yeah for sure so kind of kind of hitting on uh something you mentioned there how we had to cancel last week so just a little update on that um so i know another podcast we put out last week you kind of briefly mentioned it in your <clears throat> your live stream but i ended up getting sick and um fighting that same infection you guys have been listening for a while then you know i've been down for the count a few times with it so um gonna this have this is a, not the not the poison oak thing this is no not the poison oak thing. This is <laughs> not not the poison oak so yeah um but yeah so i'll be getting surgery next week they still haven't told me when so i think it's next week but uh hopefully once and for all i'll get that all finished off and um not have to worry about it but uh in the meantime we'll we'll keep them rolling we got this podcast coming out um maybe it'll be uh if it's scheduled after next wednesday we'll have our next guest on too before then too so we'll keep them rolling out and we'll be back at it as soon as we can but i wouldn't expect a long break in between episodes or anything like that so But yeah, um, I guess let's go ahead and quick word to our partners, quick word from our partners, and then we'll go ahead and get Chris on in here. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks over to HDR Innovations. Um, guys, if you haven't checked out A-Frame, the Quack Pack, and the Gun Stand, then you're missing out. Um, my favorite product from this past year or I would say the one that I use, utilize the most is the gun stand, and it's definitely the, the most popular product uh, from HTR as far as, you know, um, the most getting out in everybody's hands. But uh, it's perfect for, you know, going out in the marsh when you're standing in the water, 
knee high. You push it down in the mud. It holds up your gun, your ammo, your blind bag. Um, we got some new attachments on it this year uh, for the game strap, so you get your birds hooked on it too as well, um, as well as a clip for your uh, your blind bag. So it's a super simple idea, but it's super effective. It gets the job done, and, you know, anytime I'm hunting in any type of water, um, that's definitely going to be the top on my list there. So make sure to use code DUCKGUN10, 10% off, and free shipping over there. Guys, if you have a waterfowl dog or any dog, pet dog, water, working dog, whatever, and you want to make sure your dog is protected when you travel, and so we suggest you use Gunner Kennel. Jordan's got one. I've got one. These things are like tanks. I mean, you put your dog in the back. You strap them down. There's all sorts of crazy, unfortunate stories of people getting in wrecks and smashing their cars up and their, their pets living through it. So, you know, you're going to spend all this money on your dog and all this time and energy. You want to make sure your dog is safe. It's a USA-made product, double-wall, roto-molded, five-star crash test. It's just an amazing product. Um, go get it now. The product code is DuckGunSpace10 for 10% off. Also, we'd like to give a big thanks out to Bandit, Avery, and Greenhead Gear. Um, Elliot and I have both been rocking their, their products all year long. Um, you know, one, one product I'd like to highlight for you guys this week is, um, their pro grade mallards, you know, they've both been using those. They're kind of, um, they're just very durable, the kind of softer type of decoy, not the hard plastic going to break first time out there, um, in any cold weather. So it's just squishy. Um, you're not worrying about the chipping of the paint as much as you would with some of these, uh, other ones, but, um, we both rock those all season long, um, and they look great, and the mallards love them. So uh, definitely uh, check out um, Greenhead Gear decoys over at Banded.com. And also I'll add to that, you know, Jordan and I have had lots of conversation about colors of decoys. And, you know, during teal season, what do you want to use? If you're like me and you really like matching what colors you're going to see during that time of the year, they've got a, a teal pack that's all fall teal. No, it's always bothered me about teal decoys that they had all the plumage on them. And I've got four dozen of these babies, and they look exactly like the teal look in the marsh in September. So if you're looking for some more early season teal decoys, that's I'm really highly impressed with those decoys. All righty. And last note, guys, if you're getting the duck depression, um, make sure to jump over to our YouTube channels, Duck Gun Chronicles, Freelance Duck Hunting. Um, we have I have four seasons on there. Elliot has, what, five seasons on, mm -hmm. on YouTube uh, of all our hunts. You know, my first season's really not worth watching, but, uh, you know, Elliot's got five awesome seasons. I probably have three that are worth watching up there on YouTube. It'll help you with your duck depression, um, and it definitely helps us out a lot as well. So definitely check those out. Um, and with that, we'll go ahead and get Chris in here and jump on into the podcast. Hey, guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits... Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. Alrighty, folks, we are back and we are here for the podcast. Got Elliot, co-host alongside me, and our guest for tonight. Um, we've had him on in the past. You guys heard us talking about him in the intro. Uh, Chris Jobman, um, he is the owner of Flatlander Kennels. 
a very uh, well-known and highly qualified kennel out there. Um, you know, go ahead, Chris, give people a little bit of information about you who, uh, who might not have heard um, the last podcast we had with you. Okay. Hi, guys. Chris Jobman here. Um, live out here just east of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, on the kind of in the river bottom of the famed North Platte River. So we're out here in western Nebraska. We're about three hours north of Denver, um, 100 miles from Cheyenne, Wyoming, out here in God's country, they call it. But um, this is my – I'm an owner-operator, head trainer of Flatlander Kennels, um, and I also own a guiding outfit called Duck Haven Outfitters. But um, my main business is the kennel here, and we're primarily a training facility or a retriever training facility now, we do have a few litters a year, two or three a year. Um, I train for a lot of breeders, um, that sort of thing. But we run, we're primarily, you know, we train hunting dogs, hunt test dogs, um, low-stakes field trial dogs. Um, we run HRC hunt tests, AKC hunt tests, um, all those things. And we're pretty busy. We, where we live, we, we, are, we travel the country pretty hard. We run a lot of hunt tests. We qualify a lot of dogs for the grand qualify a lot of dogs for the master national and we just kind of get out you know we're kind of out here by ourselves um which is what i like um be quite honest with you but um, we're out here with the dogs and ducks and we just do it every day awesome and uh kind of you know it's definitely a, a crazy time to be alive with everything going on so um has uh all the lockdowns and coronavirus uh, pandemic stuff affected you and your work at all Man, you know, yes and no. The thing about it is, is I'm like a five-time world champion of social distancing. <laughs> I have been practicing it my whole life. I've been practicing it my whole life out here where I live and what I love to do. So it, it, it doesn't bother me one ounce as far as going to town and doing what I need to do. Um, we do have a little restaurant bar place about a mile down the road from us called the Pink Palace but I go to quite a bit to you know, get lunch or whatever, and that's closed down. So that's, and that's hurting me more than anything. But <laughs> like I said, I'm, I've been practicing social distancing my entire life, so I'm, I'm good with it. But as far as our business goes, um, it, it has bothered us. We're down we're down on our dog numbers um, for sure because of the economy and people's on their jobs, losing some jobs, being furloughed. Um, we are down on some dog numbers. We got a pretty good – number of dogs going right now i'm happy with the numbers we're, we're, we're fine um, we have the same amount of employees that we, we've always had there's you know there's six of us running around and you know and that's one of the things when you know the economy starts going bad we can weather the storm a little bit and i feel an, an obligation to my employees to keep them working as long as i possibly can and we're good to go they're all working we're working hard um one thing that's really hurt us besides you know some of the dogs that haven't come back because of the economy and, and whatever is is all of our hunt tests and field trials and everything throughout the country has been canceled or postponed. So a lot of the test dogs we have here aren't running tests. Mm. But what's kind of what, now the older dogs they don't need to run a bunch of tests. A lot of them are qualified, you know, that sort of thing. But what it what it's done for us on on the hindsight is some of these young dogs 
a lot of times us as trainers and owners and, and amateurs and all these people that are out there, a lot of times they throw these dogs into hunt tests and enter dogs into hunt tests before they're quite ready. And the way things are now, honestly, it's a blessing for some of these dogs not to be thrown into hunt tests right away because you can't run them anyway. So they're, we're literally training our butt off, you know, 60, 70 hours a week minimum getting ready for tests. And it's honestly, it's actually helped our young dogs advance even more so that when the, when the tests do open up, we're going to hit the ground running and we're going to rock and roll, if that makes sense. Yep. Have they said what they're going to do with the tests? Have they canceled for the whole year or or are they just on a wait and see? Well, it's a, it's a regional thing. So we don't have the, the virus out here. Nothing like the, the Northeast has got or the East coast. Um, We're spread out out here. Now I do know as far as I know, I have a really good buddy that lives in, in South Carolina and he's coming out for the summer to get away from the heat and all that stuff. But I do know, and he's a, he's a professional dog trainer as well, but they have pretty much closed down all of the Northeast for 2020 just because of the number of people. And the West Coast, from what we're hearing, they're going to be the same way. But the Midwest and where we live, I think, I, I'm hoping they're going to open it up because it's not as bad out here as it is in other parts of the world and in the country. And our governor is doing a great job. He's closing stuff down, you know, salons and restaurants. He's done some of that, but he's not literally telling you to stay home. Like he knows, you know, he's, you know, they're doing this, you know, less than 10 people, you know, congregating rule and six feet apart, you know, they're doing all those things. They're, and they're, but that's just kind of a guideline. And I'm, and I'm quite honest with you, you know, out here, most of us, you know, have some common sense. You know, as they say, common sense isn't very common. But most of us have some common sense. And we stay out of where we need to stay out of and we do what we need to do. But as far as where we live out here, I think we're going to see some tests open up, you know, June-ish is what I'm, is, I'm guessing. Now, that's a guess, guys, but I'm guessing that's going to happen. I've got a question on a little different topic that I've always um, wondered about with your kennel. I know I, I watched the videos that you put out on Facebook and, and you're training a particular dog and, and you'll say the dog's name and then you'll say its owner's name. And this may be, uh, you know, not necessarily a really young dog. Do, do you, how does that work with people send you the dog for just a certain well, portion of the year you know, and then and go I back during the hunting season? That, or, I've always wondered kind of how is that right? working with well, you having the owner's dog? And a lot of us trainers that have been doing it a long time, we talk a lot. A lot of us are friends, and we, we talk a lot, and and, um, and we text back and forth. And, and I'll be quite honest with you guys. Yeah, we're not running dogs and cats, but we're training hard every single day. One thing this has done for me and some other trainers, you got to understand, this is my 20th year of doing this. You know, I put 50,000 miles a year on truck pulling dog trailers. And I'm never home. Like right now, it's April 15th, and I'd be getting ready in Arkansas, Georgia, to run the Grand that's going to be in Mississippi. 
So I'd be down there away from my family and my wife and, you know, those sort of things. Sometimes she goes and sometimes she doesn't. But one thing it's done for us is it's rejuvenated us a little bit, if you could say, because we have actually have a life. Like we, we train Monday through Friday and we have the weekends off. And that is a very weird thing for us. So I'm mm. going to tell you, I'm, I, I'm actually enjoying that. If, that. if that makes sense at all, I'm actually really enjoying that. I mean, it's a big deal. I get you know, see my kids more, see my wife more, see my friends more. And, Absolutely. You know, kind of relax. And then when Monday rolls around, you know, I didn't get home at midnight from a hunt test on Sunday. And Monday rolls around, you know, you usually are dreading it because you're so tired, but you're obligated to train the dogs. So we never take a day off. But we just go, 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 go. Now Monday rolls around, and you're you're like, let's go, let's get it, guys. And you're you're, you're a much better. I think when you are on the road a lot, I mean, it's just like it's anybody's job. If you overdo it, you're not. You know, we always do a good job. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But you kind of overdo it. You are so tired that that you're not. You know, maybe giving 110 percent, or you're you're down just a little bit. And I'm gonna tell you. It, it kind of refocused us a little bit on some of us. Now, would we like to be running tests and getting clients? Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying, 100%. But as a personal standpoint, it's really done uh, done me wonders to have actually some time off. I can get on my Harley. I can go play golf. I can go to the lake. I can do what I want to on Saturday and Sunday instead of driving to you know Idaho or Utah or Arkansas. You know what I'm, you know what I'm, what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit, that's a little bit different look at it. But I, we know it's not going to last forever, and I'm glad it's not going to last forever. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. But it is what it is. And, and the, the thing about it is, I always tell my clients, I, my phone has exploded. When are you going to run? What are we going to do? When's this dog going to be? And then all the clients, it's like, just relax, guys. Your dogs are not getting any worse. They're only getting better, better and better and better and better and better. And when it when 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 the time goes to go, we're gonna go, and they're gonna do a good job for us. So I just wanted to touch on that just a little bit because a lot of trainers I talk to are actually enjoying having a weekend, you know, having a normal life, so to speak. <laughs> oh yeah. I think that's true of a lot of people. You know, like myself, I mean, I, I'm a teacher and I'm home all day long with my family. We're going on walks all the time. And, and I mean, it, you're, I think a lot of people in the country are feeling that like forced, just take a step back and, yeah, it, and slow it has, down you know, it and has relax and spend more family time. It's really been a blessing. I call them memes because memes to me would be M-E-E-M. So M-E-M-E is meme to me. So I call them memes. I saw one today on Facebook, and the, the wife is looking at the husband, and she says, you're blinking mm-hmm. too loud. You know what I mean? It's like you're driving me nuts. You, could, you, could you blink quieter, please, is what she said. So I thought that was funny. But what was your what was your question again, um, Albert? Mm. Oh, that's right. It was about, my my question was about how well, when you're working another person's dog, well, what's the routine throughout the whole year with programs. when the dog is with them and um, when it's with you, and are they there for the, long periods of so time? So we have our basic gun dog program. It's a four to five month program, 
So the dog comes in and it goes through the formal obedience and it goes through the collar conditioning and it goes through the forest fetch. It gets conditioned to gunfire. The single marker trees on land and water. We get kind of set it up and it goes through decoys and it goes on the dog stands, dog pits, dog blinds, boat, you know, all those things. So that dog there is, is a dog that will go home and it will, it's your very basic gun dog. You shoot the bird, it sees the bird fall, it goes and gets it, brings it back to heel and sits down. Okay. There, so, and some people, that's all they want is, is the gun dog program. And then there's other people um, that want they and, and it happens one or two ways. They're either into the hunt test game or trial game, and they want us to, to build a dog for them, or they buy a gun dog and they come out and they watch our big dogs run. They're like, I want one of those, and and that's kind of how they get hooked on the hunt test game. And how our hunt test and trial dogs work, it all depends on mm-hmm. the individual. There are some people that love to have, they're not really big hunters. They're not big time hunters or anything like that. But they just love to have a great animal that they, they can go watch on the weekend. It never really leaves here. It's like a, an athlete that's constantly in training. And when, on those dogs, they stay almost the whole year. We run the heck out of them in the spring and summer and early fall. And they play the game, and, and they get the big titles. You know, they're basically always in training. Now, with those dogs, I personally take those dogs hunting in the, in, in the wintertime. And a lot of those dogs will live in my house. That, the, the, the dogs, the older dogs, the more advanced dogs that, that deserve that. You know what I mean? And those dogs are like athletes. You know, it's like somebody owning a, a race horse they're not going to get on that race horse and go check fans but they love to watch it run around the track and those dogs have a great mm-hmm. some of them go to the trials to watch their dogs they'll fly or they'll so they go to the trials and watch their dog they will, they will, i've got a couple in idaho they're mm-hmm. great friends of mine great clients they got great dogs and he runs one of his dogs himself i run his other two or three and they'll drive 15 hours to watch their three dogs that we have running a hunt test <laughs> for the weekend. Like, they got their FLK stuff on. They're helping at the test. You know, they're, it's like a big picnic for them. They, you know, they spend wow. Friday driving. They're there Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday. They spend Monday going home. They go back to work, and it starts all over again. They're huge supporters. And, and, and we have a couple clients, a number of clients that do that. And then they love – it's like watching, you know, it's like – and your kids in sports, you just go, you go watch them play baseball, you know, and, and it's the same sort of thing. So their three and, dogs always stay with you, though? They don't ever no, not always. To... Not always. Yeah. Two of them are home right now um, because they're they're pretty much qualified for the Master National, and they're ready to roll. So they'll come back later this summer to get ready for the fall events, but there's nothing to run right now. So they're kind of staying at home, doing their thing. Now, we have a young dog there that's with us, and – He's ready to run. So when the tests open up, he's going to hit the ground running. You know what I mean? So he's ready to go, but he's just a young dog. And and um, so you have those clients. And then you also have some people that, hey, just let me know how he does or she does. And they don't really come to the tests, and they don't – they come to the kennel once or twice a year, and they just they, – we, we tell them how they're doing. We send them pictures and videos. And there's just some people that are like that. They just want a really, really nice dog. 
and, and they're willing to spend the money on it just because they want to really super, super, they just love the game. But they, they, now they'll go to the national events and stuff like that, but they're not going to be there on every weekend. Okay. And then there's the people that also hunt their dogs. And I, mm-hmm. most of my more advanced big dogs are all like this. Anywhere from Texas to Oklahoma, North Carolina to Idaho, they're all over the country. And those dogs, they'll stay probably for about a year, their first initial phase. Because their goal is to have a really, really nice hunt test dog and a really, really nice hunting dog. So those people, that, that first initial stay will be like a year. So we'll get through all the basics and we'll start getting into some of the advanced stuff and, and get mm-hmm. going. So that's a, really, that's a major foundation of what they're going to be doing the rest of their life. So they'll stay for that whole year or ish or year and a half, whatever they decide. And we make a plan for them. You know what I mean? And, um, then we'll start running them in tests and they'll start going through the lower stakes. You know, they'll start running seasoned and some stuff like that. They'll go through the lower stakes of tests and we'll get them up and maybe get their season title and maybe get their finished title and in the HRC world, maybe just, and then they'll go home and they'll go home in like November or October and then they'll hunt the whole winter. And so now they'll get the dog back and before they leave, well, they come out here and we teach them how to run their dogs. We teach them how to do this, do that, don't do that. You know, that sort of thing. We give them a little crash course. And they spend a couple of days. And then they go home and they hunt them. And then as soon as hunting season's over, they come back again in February. And we start all over again building them. And now we're going for, we, we tune them up and we keep progressing their training. And now we build them. Now they're starting to run the bigger stakes. They're running finished and they're running master. And we're working towards running the Grand and the Master National and those sort of things. So then we keep going, we keep going, depending on where they get the second time, and we really don't know. Then they'll go home, hunt again, then they'll come back in February, and it starts all over. And to get to, like, the levels of, like, Georgie's mom and dad, that doesn't happen in two years. Mm -hmm. That happens over years. And when you get those, it takes a long time to get those titles because it's different phases. You've got to go through the lower stakes, then you got to go through the higher stakes. And then when if they're good enough, you go through the big game, you play the nationals, you know, you play the master national, and you know, any three master national passes to get their, you know, master national hunter and be in the hall of fame. And there's only one of those a year, master national. So it takes three years of just running that to get that title. So now that dog is when it gets in the mass national five, six, seven years old, but it's been training its whole life to do that. Mm-hmm. And same way with the grand, the same way with the grand, the grand two, two times a year, spring and the fall. But to get to that level, it takes a couple years to get to that level. So if that's their goal, they have the goal in mind. I want a really good test dog and I want a really good hunt dog. And, and we make a plan, and they just they, they accept the plan, and, and that's what they want. And so that's what we do. do if that, if that, and I, I know it's hard to understand. Like, I know L.A. Center, oh, my God, I can't believe Georgia would be gone for a year. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, it's, a different, it's a different deal. It's like sending Jimmy to boot camp and sending your kid to college. and sending. It, it's a different mentality, but people absolutely love the game. And some of our clients, not all of them, not very few of them, but some of them, when the dog gets a little bit older and is running the national event, 
and is and is a really nice advanced dog, they'll bring those dogs in to us, like in the spring to run the Grand or the fall to run the Grand or the Master National. But they'll personally run those dogs in their in tests in the summer. Like we have a, a real been a client of mine for over ten years, and they live in New Mexico and they own a really really nice dog named Chloe. And she needs one more pass to get her grand title. It'll be the first grand hunting retriever champion master hunter in New Mexico history. Wow. And she needs one more pass for her grand title. And she's a super nice dog. So what they do with her is I get her in the spring. I train her up. We run the grand. And then they run her all summer long. And they come to the kennel three or four times a year. And I help them for a week and, you know, whatever. And they can't, they just train with us. And then they run her, their own dog. Melissa runs her own dog, Chloe, all summer. And then I get her back in the fall and try to get the grant again. That's some of those people do that, and and it's a testament to, to Chloe. Not every dog can do that. Some of our dogs that we have are so hot and so fired up, it's very hard for an amateur to run them. You know, it's like giving a sixteen-year-old the keys to a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to wreck them because there's such a, there's so much dog. You know what I mean? They're just so much dog. Now, for hunting, they're fine. They, they, they can hunt. They can do all those things. But you understand, hunting and testing are two completely different things, and there's rules involved in a hunt, test, and a field trial. And you gotta you got to be good at that to understand what's going on, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Now, that that that's a great answer to that question. And, I appreciate how in depth you went because I had never understood exactly how it all worked, and that uh, that is really really interesting to think that some people it's like a sport to them, and it's it's really I never thought of that. It, it's a total sport, and it's, it's, to some people, they're they're in the background. They just want to know how their dog's doing, as long as it's healthy and safe and having having fun. They're good with it. Like, heck, yeah, let's keep doing it. Some people, it's a spectator sport. Some people, you know, it, 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 they're all different. They're all different. But but they all love the game, just in a different way. Yeah. Just in a different way. Very cool. Well, let's let's transition into e-collar training real quick. And let's start it off this way. Um, why don't I just – I just – last week and a half have been working with Georgie with e-collar. I have never, ever used an e-collar on a dog. This is my third dog before. The first dog, I didn't even train it, but it hunted, and it was a disaster. The second dog, I used that old water dog book, and I trained her um, just like what you said. I wanted her to sit. I wanted her to get the duck, and I wanted her to come back. That's all I wanted. And I didn't use an e-collar with that dog, and and she did, she did great at that. She was well-mannered, easy to hunt with, did everything I wanted to do. Um, but with, with Georgie, you know, I know you and I talked once I got her and at first I was like, well, you know, I've never used an e-collar and you flat out told me, you're like, well, if you want to get this dog to where you want to get it, then, you know, I would suggest using an e-collar and I got it. And now that I've used it for a week and a half, I feel like I cannot believe I never used one before. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. um, it, it, well, it's just like, it's just like having a leash on them 200 yards away. Yeah. Yeah. If, if done correctly. So I talked with you. For, yeah, you the problem you, with you. You gave me some, ad, you gave me some advice on what to do and how to start it. So I'll give, I won't, I won't spend a long time. Let me just tell you what I have done 
and then you tell me where I've gone wrong and then go with the topic wherever you want to go. How's that sound? I don't know if we have enough time. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't have to work in the morning, so we may pull an all-nighter here. We got you on the phone. Um, all okay. right, so I started with Georgie on a lead, and for the first two or three days, all I did was I walked around and I – well, first I put her on her stand and I did the test of the settings and I started at one, started at two at three. I got a little bit of a reaction from her. She just kind of looked up at me and I thought, okay, three is, it looks like three is the setting I want to go with her on. So I walked her around on lead and I just did heal the first day and just gave her little nicks. No, I did heal and sit. I believe. No, I did. I'm sorry. I did sit was the first couple of days and I was just giving her little nicks, little nicks. Um, from there I did heal and I did that for a couple days. And then I moved on to here from the, from her stand. And then after that, I worked on actually making her go to place. Um, it was a, about a day or two on each. So I'm at the point now where she'll heal, she'll sit, she'll go to place and she'll come to me anytime. I almost at this point, I don't even have to hardly nick her. She does it every time without being Nick. Now, before I got the e-collar, she was, she was pretty good at it. Um, but if she was off leash, she would not. And she, we were in the yard a lot of times she didn't want to come, but now everything, she does it twice as yeah. fast. And, and, and she's to the point now where I don't even hardly have to even Nick her. She's just doing it, um, all the time. So that's quick version of what I've done. Um, kind of give me some feedback on, on it and go from there. Okay, so have you not gone any higher than three? I have turned it up to a four a couple of times um, when I didn't feel like she was responding. What collar are you using? I'm sorry? What collar are you using? I'm using the Sport Dog 425. Okay. And I've, I've the two times I've yeah. gone up to a four, I felt like maybe it was getting a little bit dull or getting a little bit needed to be charged up. Cause I'd put my fingers on it and not even touch it, but a three does it for. Well, okay. With, okay. We, we got a lot to talk about. Okay. So you did the right thing by putting it. You, first of all, you did the right thing by using four dogs. They're by far the best caller out there. And it's not even close. I've used all the, all the other ones. I would recommend if I were you, that 425 has a, a shorter range on it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, if I were if I were you, fight the bullet by by the Sport Dog 1825. Mm-hmm. The best that that is probably the best hunting collar that you can buy. Because I believe that um, one goes out to about a mile, I think, if I'm not mistaken. That was the yeah, difference. Is the the 425 goes 400 yards. Yeah. Well, what what are you gonna do when Georgie chases a deer or a rabbit and she's over four yards away? I'm gonna say Chris Jobman was right. <laughs> <laughs> so so spend the money. It's gonna happen. So spend the money. Get this four dog eighteen twenty five. By far the best hunting collar out there. Okay. We I use those for hunting every day. We train with sport dogs twenty five twenty five. The Pro Hunter 2525, that is by far a the best training collar in the world. And it's not even close, guys. I have been, I've trained with all of them. 
and I'm going to tell you it is a workhorse of a, of a collar. Hmm. With, those, with those collars at the different ranges, so, like, I have the same one as Elliot, 425, um, but, like, does that 18, what do you say, 1825, does that have, like, a, is it any stronger of a nick? Yeah, it is stronger correction for sure. Okay. Because I was going to, one thing I was going to ask about with with my e-collar is, um, like I said, I have the same one with Elliot, 425, and um, my dog is the opposite of Elliot, where I have to have like a a larger amount of of a a nick, I guess. And Elliot's going to have to, too. He just doesn't know it yet. Okay. Because I have mine turned up to the third setting all the way at the end of the collar, and it's like a... I can tell he's feeling it because sometimes he twitches. He even twitches, but he's like, "Nah, um, that's that's not enough." But like, if he gets wet, then it's like, it's like he just got put in the electric chair. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fine, but I'm gonna tell you, you you have you need something with more power and more range because Elliot, you don't even know yet what's what's coming this hunting season with that dog. <laughs> you, you try, try. I'm gonna tell you, you you're laughing. You're gonna be, you'll be chasing around trying to catch her. She is, no matter. She is a rocket ship. She is a four wheel drive on nitrous when it's gonna come to this. You wait, and that little 425, she's gonna be like, whatever. So it might get her attention on a three and a four, but I'm gonna tell you, when a 50 pack of mallard is, is at 10 yards, she's not even gonna care about the three. Okay. Now I did accidentally hit her with sense? a five. I tried to turn it up to a four uh, the other day and accidentally had it on a five, and she screamed. Which, that... okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Eighteen twenty-five goes out to a mile. So, um, the thing about you got to understand. Let's just talk about the philosophy of the collar. First and foremost, an e-collar, a shock collar, whatever you want to call it. It has never taught a dog to do anything. Okay? Collar conditioning is used to reinforce already known commands. Hear, heel, sit, place, kennel. You even you literally can e collar condition you can collar condition a dog on almost any command. As long as they understand the command, you can e collar condition any dog. Okay, um, so it's never taught a dog to do. You need to do that before even introducing the collar. Um, and there's two different um, philosophies on e-collar training. There is the old school philosophy of, and this book was back in the day. It's called the Tritronics, the Retriever Trainer. It used a lot, and it was it was really popular a long time ago. And it uses lots of continuous pressure. So what I'm saying by that is you'll say sit and you'll hold the button down until the dog's butt hits the ground and you let off on the butt. Does that make sense? Yes. And mm-hmm. then there's a new version, the rec car method, or however you want to call it, where they use a lot of a momentary simulation where you say sit, you nick with the collar, you say sit again, so you're trying to teach the dog to respond quicker to try to beat that second nick. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So that 
I will rec. I we most ninety five percent of the really good retriever trainers in the country use that second method of momentary stimulation a lot. Um, there are times where you'll use continuous, but my philosophy is the Rex Carway, the, the the momentary stimulation, the sit nick sit here nick here fetch nick fetch, all those things. Okay, um, we use that, and I recommend that. And, and the reason why I recommend that is if you use continuous stimulation and you say sit and then you just push the button, that dog is literally more worried about the continuous stimulation than doing the actual command. Well, is it going to sit? Yes. But it has to fight through the pressure to sit down. It's more worried about the pressure than, than doing the command, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if you do the sit, nick, sit method, you go sit. You nick it and you say sit again, then that you're teaching that dog to respond quicker to shut off the pressure. And I know it makes it, it probably sounds funny to you, but I'm just telling you, momentary stimulation works the best. It's easier and it's more fair to the dog. I think it's easier on the brain. Um, you know, I, I think it's a much easier deal for the dog. I have been exactly. doing that, but from from what you're what you're saying, the mistake I've made was I was doing sit nick sit nick, so it was the I shouldn't have been doing the second nick. Why would no? You do the second nick. You just said three nick. Sit nick sit nick. Why did you do the third nick? No, I no, I it wasn't it he wasn't said, three. It would have been said, sit two sit, of each two sits two sit, nicks. Yeah, no, you say you say. Sit. You give pressure. Say sit again, and you're done nicking. Okay. On that command. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yes. So you went sit, nick, sit, nick. Yes. Initially. Oh boy. Initially, I did. But now I don't now. You know, your little week and a half. I did. Your little first. week and a half romp you had. You're not done yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. George told me to be brutally honest with you, so you got. Oh yeah. It. No, that's what I but, want. Uh, that's what I was telling. I was telling my dad. I was like, Chris Chalman said two weeks, but I don't know what else to do. I was like, but uh, there's no way he's not right. <laughs> but I don't know. Feels like yeah. I'm done. <laughs> well, I, I don't. There is no set time frame on collar conditioning. It's over when it's over. Yeah. And another thing about the e collar is, you went up to three and got a decent response. Then you went up to four, and you got a little bit. And then you went to five, and she screamed, yeah, you know, whatever she did. You guys have got to understand, and this is, I'm not trying to say this to be mean. You have to block that noise out. That's just noise. Mm-hmm. You're not hurting her. You're not doing any damage physically to her. You're not doing any of those things. When she screams or she yelps and you stop, the, 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 whatever you're doing, you stop. She is now training you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There is going to be a time in her life, and it's coming quick, where a three won't even touch her. Mm-hmm. Because you got to understand someone. You're walking around your yard or your garage or wherever you're at doing it, and you nick her. And she responds really good on the three. You're like, I, I got this. I'm going to open a kennel. I'm going to do this. You listen to piece of cake. Well, I'm going to tell you, when you add a cat 
rabbit or a deer or a mallard in their face or a goose in their face, that excitement level goes way up. Mm-hmm. So a little three three nick on her, she's not even going to notice it. Okay. Okay. So what you need to do when you're e-collar conditioning, any kind of press. Now, let's face it. Your pressure conditioning is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You need to teach her. I'm not telling you to get crazy with it, but you need to teach her how to fight through the higher levels of the collar and how to learn and not panic. Okay. And here's why. Let's just say you're going duck hunting and <clears throat> you – Ducks come in, you cripple one, she takes off, she breaks, and she, you want her to stop. So you got it on a three, and, and it's not doing anything to her. So you go to a four, it's not doing anything to her. You get a five, maybe, but now you're all the way up on the collar, and you get into her, and she she freaks out because you got real hot with her, okay? And then, next thing you know, she may not even want to leave your side next. Mm-hmm. On the next deal, on the next duck, or whatever's happening, she may want to even leave your side because she's scared to death. And the reason for that is she was never taught how to deal with a higher pressure mentally. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is so e-collar conditioning and how to deal with pressure is so hard to talk about on the phone or in a seminar or a diagram. It's a touchy feely thing. It's, you have to know, you have to, the thing of all about pressure conditioning, that's what we're doing, is you have to know when to add pressure and when to take pressure back. You have to be able to adjust on the fly and to the dog. Mm-hmm. So you can read all the books you want. You can read all, watch all the videos you want. But until you start getting into it, you're, you're, you know, it, it, it's a daunting task to learn how to do it. And after training thousands of dogs, you know, we're good at it. But so you need to, amp up the pressure just a little bit you okay. need to teach her you need to you know she may yip and she may yipe but you got to understand something that's just noise and we're hunting with real guns with real bullets with bob wire fences around maybe a road close be quite honest with you guys this stuff for these dogs is life and death for them because if she breaks or something like that, and you can't stop her, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and you you see what I'm saying? Yes. It, it, it's dangerous. And, and, and you don't want to have to be out there with your buddies, and she breaks, and you get into her with a collar, then she doesn't want to leave your sight because she's petrified and she's nervous. But you never taught her how how, how to deal with it. The men, it's more mental stress than it is physical pressure, if that makes sense. So how I do it, how we do our program here is we always, when we do our obedience, we start with a healing stick. And the first thing we teach a dog is to kind of walk and heal and sit. And when we say sit, we say sit, we whack them with a healing stick, not hard. It doesn't take, you don't have to to swing it, but you know, you just, you get them with the healing stick and then you say sit again. So you're walking along and heal, sit, whack with a healing stick and then you say sit again okay and they learn to they they you're already conditioning these dogs to react quicker so when you say sit you whack them with a stick they and they sit really really quick okay you're already teaching those dogs how to respond quicker to beat the pressure 
You follow me? Yes. Yep. Now, when we go to collar conditioning, the e-collar takes place of the stick. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, question: I wasn't. So I didn't use the healing stick very much, but I was using a pinch collar. So it was sit, pinch collar. What's the pro? What's the difference um, between the two? Like a stick versus like a pinch collar. Well, and the pinch collar is is okay. I don't really use it, but it's okay. Um, and it's the same sort of theory, I guess you would say. The pinch collar works better, like on here and heel and those sort of things. So you could say like here, and you pull it. You pull. You say here. You pull it. And then when it tightens up, you say here again. It's it that's replacing the collar as well. Okay. Um, the healing stick is more of a smack on the butt to get the butt on the ground as quickly as possible. Gotcha. Okay. So a pinch collar is better. I the pinch collar to me is better for healing and here, and the stick is better for sitting. Gotcha. It, it's better for sitting. So each they both do the same thing. They re, the collar replaces both of them. Okay. Um, so now. What you're going to do is I, and well, I use a thing and I don't even use, I don't like the momentary button on a, on the, on the collar. I don't like the momentary button because the nick is so quick that you may not have a good connection. You may, you may not, the hair might be really thick or you, you know, hopefully you use the long prongs. If it comes along, you use the longest prongs you possibly can to get good connection. You put on nice and snug and the momentary button and this is hard to explain on the radio, but a momentary button is just like a think, like a tick, like like it's one computer simulate. I mean, it's super fast, and you can't even nick that fast with your fingers. So I don't like that because I it's hard to know if a dog is getting a good response unless you get to higher levels in the collar. It's hard to it's hard to see if the dog is responding to that because it's so quick. What we use is, is, and this is a term that I came up with, we call it the continuous nick. And we leave all of our collars and transmitters on continuous. And when we want to nick, we do it ourselves. We just push the button, let go of the button as quickly as we can. Or maybe we do it for like a second. We push it and let go. Push it, let go. Because on a momentary, on the collar setting, it's like a dink. And, and, and that's all it is. On, in the continuous nick, no matter how fast you think you are, it goes from a dink to a dink. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yes. It's a little bit stronger. It's a little bit stronger. And I think that gets the point across better. So for those of you that are listening that have never worked with an e-collar, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, with an e-collar, you can, you can move it to where, so where you hit the button, it's going to hold the shock as long as your finger's on the button up until a point in which it stops. But you can hold it on there for three or four like, seconds and like, keep it's going. It's like nine seconds. Yeah. It's like nine. It's a huge like, continuous button. You can hold it down for like nine seconds and then it times on and shuts off. But a temporary, no matter how long you hold the button. Go ahead. Go ahead. Correct. Correct. The, the, temp, the momentary on it. If you can hold it down for five seconds, it's still just going to go dip, and that's it. Yeah. It's really quick, super fast. So we use a continuous nick, and that's and, what I call it, because sometimes you need continuous for a second or two. 
or three. Um, but more times than not, we just use a continuous nick, and we just push the continuous button down and let go of it ourselves. It, it's a little stronger stimulation. And Jordan, and is I that what you have your set on, Jordan? Yeah. Is the continuous? Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, the way mine's set up is it has um, the two on the front are the nick, and then the one on the side is continuous. Yeah, that's probably how yours is set up. Um, yeah, I guarantee that. And mine's set a little different. Mine's set so the two on the front, it basically goes to – so if I'm on three setting, I've got three low, three medium, and three high, the side button being three high. So there's actually 21 yeah. – different levels but mine's on continuous as well yeah yeah so how, how do you change it from the nick to continuous i can't remember that There's are you asking me sure if you if you know I, the answer i don't have any idea <laughs> okay that's fine i mean we use four but we don't use a 425 we use the we use the pro 125 25 all of my trainers we have a bunch of them laying around we all use that we all use that column Okay. Um, and we've actually the trainers that I train with throughout the country. They, everybody was always a, a Garmin or a or, or a Dogtra guy or whatever, and, and they like, what is that collar? And a bunch of them are using that now because it's such it's such a workhorse of a collar. Um, mm -hmm. it's great. But I hunt with eighteen twenty five. So ours, I think you guys are going to want to invest in something a little bit bigger than a four twenty five. Okay. Because when Elliot's got Georgie doing 300-yard blind retrieve, if he goes past her 200-yard minimum or 200-yard maximum on that collar, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Um, I, think it's a good, I think it's a good investment. Um, okay. And, and, the, and, and people have got to understand is, is I know there's a lot of – there's a stigma out there with e-collars and pressure and – you're stocking them and blah, blah. I get that. I get it. But use in the right hands and use correctly, they are by far the best training tool and innovation that has come across in dog training in the world. And it's not even in history. It's not even close. Um, back in the day when I started, we had those huge Tritronics collars with the different colored plugs and every different color meant a different stimulation a red meant hot and the, the transmitter had an antenna and there's an antenna on the collar those back in those days they were they were they were pretty tough to train with because you didn't really have a different setting these collars now that they came out with it and, and every company's got it, it it there's so much finesse that you can do with these collars now low medium high i mean they just there's so much finesse with them so the thing about i know a lot of people it's all you know, I trained my dog in positive reinforcement. No, you didn't. Because if if you don't train with an e-collar, more times than not, you have a healing stick or you're doing something else to get that dog's attention. That's not positive reinforcement either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So so this this is a great tool. If you face, let's face it, guys. That dog breaks. It, it, there's a chance he could get shot. Mm -hmm. And you've got to have a way to control that. Period. So it sounds like my next step is I need to train her to the higher levels. You need to push her just a little bit. Okay. You, you can't spend two days on sit, two days on heel, two days on place, and two days go to you can't that you can't do that. That that that's honestly that's you just looked at the cliff notes 
in English, and you're going to try to write an essay. And trust me, I am all about cliff notes. I was a terrible student, and I was good at getting by. <laughs> but when it comes to this stuff, you, you, you've got to do a little bit more. You'll be a little more diligent on it, okay? okay? And you may see her you may see her attitude go down a little bit, but start the session with happy, fun bumpers. Do your, do your collar conditioning and end the session with happy, fun bumpers and quit. It's okay for them to, to, to get a little weird on you. That, that, that's going to happen. That is the nature of the beast, okay? It's when, it's when you start getting on a little bit higher levels of sit and heel and here, you'll notice they may, they may get a little weird. They may hang their head. They may hang their tail. But if their responses are getting quicker and you can see them digging in and they have some positive momentum, and they have some purpose to what they're doing, whether they're holding their head low or their tail's tucked, it doesn't matter. That, that, that's just all smoke and mirrors. It, it's what is the dog, they don't have to be wagging their tail. I'm going to tell you right now, you're talking with a knee collar, I'm not going to wag my tail. And, and they're not going to either. But if you see that dog's behavior changing, when I mean, when I mean by changing is their responses are quicker, there's more determination in what they're doing, you're winning. You're doing it right. So do you ever have when uh, you say do you ever yeah, have you say here and that dog digs in and he just and you're winning. You're doing it right. Okay. Do you ever see with the dog um, when you go up on those higher levels, uh, does it ever cause any confusion or is it just always kind of work it, out? It, uh, it, it, I don't think it I don't necessarily think the word confusion is the right word. I think it's more of a, we call it, I call it an unstable response. And when you get to those higher levels, you're going to be, you're going to see an unstable response. And it's our job as as trainers to train that dog to cope with the situation stably and give you a stable response. So, Let's just say you you get you you work on you're working on heel, and you got Georgie up to a six, and you go to turn to the right and you say here or you say heel or whatever you're saying. And let's say she tries to bolt away from you. Now you should be on lead, um, on lead, okay. And if she tries to bolt away from you, that's an unstable response. She knows what here means. She knows what a heel means. She knows all that. So you can't let her. And then if you say, oh, that was too hot, I'm going to stop now. She's winning. Now mm-hmm. she's training you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you just pull her back. You don't make a big deal of it. you going about your business. Now, maybe you were on a six. So the next stimulation, let's go back down to a four. Let's teach her how to properly deal with that. And then maybe your next stimulation on the heel or, or here is a five. And then she deals with that really well. Okay, let's try the six again. And then you go to a six. And maybe her response is not as bad as the first time you were on six. That means you're done doing something really good. That means she's learning She's learning to cope with the, with the pressure. Is, that, is this making sense? Yes. Is it making sense to you guys? Yes. Yeah, and now she's learning how to cope with the pressure mentally. So, so now so, let's maybe the next thing later. Now let's go back down to a five, and maybe do instead of doing like a little continuous nick, 
maybe do like a two second. Okay, now I'm going to use this term. We call it a two second burn. A burn is a burn means continuous. Okay, for everybody listening, for the six people listening on here, <laughs> it's me talking. Is they are not going to burn your dog. That is just a term that we as trainers use for continuous. It's called a burn. It does not burn your dog skin. It, that doesn't happen. So, <laughs> so now let's go to maybe you're doing a heel or a here. Let's say you're out there here and you've been using continuous. Now let's do like maybe a two to three second burn on five and then say, see. So here, burn a little bit, let off, say here again. And I'll guarantee you she starts tumbling, flying in. Okay, mm-hmm. and and then you act like no big deal. Get her under control. Go back to doing what you're doing. Now maybe the next time, let's go to a seven on like a continuous mix here, continuous mix here on a seven, and then if she does that, okay, or she gets a little bit crate, a little bit unstable, go back down to maybe a five on continuous mix. And the teacher had a deal. See how I'm working up the scale of pressure mm-hmm. on, on all this? You work up, and you work back down. Then you work up a little bit higher if you can. Then you work back down. You see what? And you're now you're teaching this dog how to mentally deal with this mental stress. Now so, I'm not saying you are going to train your dog in fives and six and sevens every day. That that's not what I'm saying. She may run on a three in a normal day but you've got to teach her how to deal with this higher stimulation mentally because i guarantee you you're going to use that higher stimulation at some point in her life so the idea is when you get out in the field and the dog breaks and before people are even shooting the gun and you know it's a situation where the dog could be unsafe then you you hit the dog with that higher pressure and they've already they understand mentally how to deal with it and instead of freaking out they spin and come right back Correct. Or if it's and, running and towards like, the road. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you have to, and then I'm going to tell you, if, if you plan on teaching Georgie or Jordan, you're teaching your life, if you plan on teaching that dog to run blind retrieve, which I hope you are. Yes. You're going to have to do force to pile and mm-hmm. water force. And you're going to have to do all these things. And you, so right now is the time to teach her mentally to deal with the mental stress of what's coming in the months ahead. You okay. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to teach them to deal with this now. Cause four such is coming next. That's a bunch of mental stress and you're going to hate it. And she's not going to like it. And it's just, it's just part of the beast. But now don't look at it as, don't look at, look at it as I'm teaching this, I'm, I'm color conditioning this dog for the e-collar. Which that's what you're doing, but that's what you're really doing is teaching this dog how to deal with pressure, mental stress and pressure for the rest of its life. Mm-hmm. Because see what I'm, you're gonna you're gonna so you need to teach this dog now is a humongous time, a huge it's, it's a huge it takes Elliot it probably takes us three weeks of us doing it every day mm-hmm. to properly call our condition a dog. Gotcha. So, and can we do all these steps? Because we know 
that in this dog's future, there is going to be way more mental stress on this dog than it's getting right now. So if you don't teach it to deal with it, you're really going to run into some problems down the road. So it's mental toughness as much now, as the Z-collar training. You're building mental toughness. Correct. It's, it's like, you know, it's like, I always say this, and, and this is a bad analogy, but I always say this. It's like, a, it's like a Navy SEAL. When they go what they call hell week, they think they're going to die. And they're not going to die, but coming out of hell week, they've learned to deal with that mental stress, that mental, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. They learned it and it makes them a better soldier, a better person coming out of that. If you teach your dogs to come out of this collar conditioning, it's going to make them a better dog. Okay. Okay. Um, Now with that being said, there are some dogs out there that the highest level that those dogs can properly function on without kind of melting down or getting squirrely might be a four. You know what I mean? Yeah. It might be a three. You never, you, you have to find that range. And there's, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of dogs out there that people don't even realize because they backed off of it because they're so worried about it. They're so self-conscious about hurting their baby or their daughter, or their son. Let's face it, guys. These guys are these are animals. So they get the mommy goggles off and train it off. So they're more worried about hurting them or thinking they're hurting them. So they back off in their training. And to be quite honest with you, they're doing an injustice to the dog because they're not teaching the dog how to properly, mentally understand the pressure so that in the future when you're force-fetching or you're forced into a pile or you're teaching blind retrieve, now this dog doesn't understand what you're asking of it and now that's it's going to be even harder for you to teach your dog to do the more advanced stuff if you don't do this properly um, i hope that's all making sense. it is it's all making it's all making perfect sense to me and um, it's very uh, difficult to explain <laughs> i can't even tell you no no i think i think it's crystal clear um my my misunderstanding was um, it's all of the building up the mental toughness. I had no idea that that was a part of it at all. So, I mean, Georgie is to the, to the three, I mean, she's good to go with everything I've asked her to do. I mean, she's, she, but I, I, building up the pressure and teaching her mental toughness is not even something I knew was even part of the system at all. So yeah. I think everything you're saying is crystal yeah, clear to me. Yeah. But she is doing everything you're asking her to do because she is in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. She's on a leash. She's away from distractions. It's no big deal to her. She's like, yeah, dad, I'll do that. No big deal. Ooh, that was a little bit hot. She whines and you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just heard her. I'm going to go back way back down. She's like, oh, so all I have to do is yip. We'll go back down to it too. You yeah. know what I mean? Yes. So in a controlled environment, she probably looks like an absolute rock star. Mm-hmm. But it's when the chaos and the bullets start flying is when they need to be at their best. Mm-hmm. And, so, and in order to teach them that, you've got to push them a little bit. I'm not now, all the listeners out there. I'm not saying burn your dog up. I'm not saying light them up. I'm not saying make them squeal and fall. I'm not. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you've got to push these dogs out of their comfort zone 
teach them to be comfortable and then just back off the pressure. And you can stay right there at a three or four, maybe her whole life. But if you need to go to a six or seven, you've got it in your toolbox to use. So what's a what's a good indicator? So we're talking about, you know, hitting kind of their max range, um, unlocking their full potential, getting the, the um, mental toughness from it. But um, like you said, it's different with every dog. And it'd be so simple if we could just have someone say, hey, you know, do – four to seven but like it's different on every dog so how when you when you're testing out the dog to see what the range and it and it kind of seems like it it fluctuates with age the more you kind of nick them it kind of um the more they can take of it so it's like uh um i guess can you walk us through your steps of figuring out that range where you're gonna have the day-to-day to to the max range you know that's a really hard question because Good dog trainers, and a lot of trainers out there that are not good dog trainers, but the good dog trainers that know how to really read an animal, really read a dog, and, and they and, and all the amateurs out there, and there's some pros, and it doesn't really matter. They, they, they read a book, and they think, okay, the book, meant, the book said to do this, and the book said to do this. And they, you know what? You can take that book and throw it in the trash. When it comes to this pressure conditioning, it is a, it's a feel thing for a trainer now you have to you have to as a trainer say okay is the dog confused or is it not trying and if you're e-collar conditioning and you're using here and you're up to a three and you say here nick here and the dog is running at you all right okay good the dog knows exactly what it's supposed to do right so then let's just say, let's just see, then you work yourself up and you get to a six and you stay here and that dog bolts away from you and doesn't come to you, that dog is not trying anymore. Does that make sense? Yes. So it it's more worried about what's going on with the e-collar than performing the command. So now you're like, oh, okay. All right, here we go. I've already I, I, I went to failure. I, I the dog has failed. Um, it knows the command, but it's trying to get away from the pressure around its neck by running away from me. So that's an unstable response. So now, Elliot, what you're going to do is you're going to spend some time on here, and you're going to work through that. You're going to go back down, like I said. You're going to go back up. You're going to go back down. Then you're going to go up again. Then you go back down. You see what I'm trying to say? You have to teach that dog when you get into that zone of uncomfortability that they have. I'm not so sure that's the word, but that they have. You've got to teach them how to deal with that. I don't know if I answer your question or not. It's it. So are, almost, are there when you, when you reach when you reach the dog's level, it literally you're gonna you're gonna put that dog into failure. Okay. And what I mean by that is. Like I just said, if you stay here and you do a continuous nick or a little, like a two-second burn on like six, stay here, burn here, and that dog runs away the other way, then, hey, now I've got my limit. Okay, here we go. Now I found it. Now my goal as a trainer is to train that dog to accept that limit mm-hmm. by performing the command correctly. Okay. Once the dog accepts so, that limit, do you go past it, or is that the top? Is that the high level? I don't. I don't know. Hopefully, you can go past it. 
hopefully you can go past it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you can do that to a dog and get it collar conditioned like that and learn to accept what's more than they think they can accept, it's going to make training that dog so much easier. Because if you have to apply more pressure to that dog in force fetch or force to pile or water force or anything like that, that dog understands, like, okay, my bad, I screwed up. You're right. My bad. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've I, never had to... I've never had my dog bolt away from pressure, but uh would kinda like another example example of uh um having an unstable response is if you give it one command, like let's say you're you want it to go <clears throat> force to pile, but then you give it the nick and it goes to place or something like that. So there's an unstable response because they're doing something different than you're you're trying to tell them what it, to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you have to, this is so hard to explain on the, on the phone, <laughs> but I'm glad we're talking about it because it's, I'm telling you, it's a touchy feely thing. And, and, and Elliot, if it takes you a month to get through this, it takes you a month. Mm-hmm. This is, this and force back are so critically important. I can't even stress it. I, I can't even stress it. Because if you're going to teach a dog to run blind retrieve, then you have to teach them how to be stable. Mm-hmm. How to be stable. I mean, and, and, and here's, a, here's a prime example, okay? And everybody has seen it, is you go out pheasant hunting, and you got little Sparky out there, and you're pheasant hunting. And you're like, yeah, I don't need to put a collar on him. He does a great job. And blah, blah, blah. So you go up to South Dakota or wherever you're going, and he gets into a pile of birds. Now all of a sudden, little Sparky, the 16-year-old in the strip joint, and he's losing his damn mind. <laughs> he's running all over the place, and you can't even catch him. Okay? And then you're like, that's it. I'm going to put the collar on him, and tomorrow I'm going to get him. So then Sparky goes off, and he starts chasing birds again, and you turn the collar up, and you get into him big time and he comes back then he walks at your heel the rest of the day and then you're like okay i got my point across because now now he doesn't want to hunt but and you as a trainer you think oh that's it i got it i got my point across the next day you take the collar off of him and he takes off after the pheasants again with no collar and you can't even catch him you're like ah that's it i'm putting the collar back and you put the collar back on him the next day you hit him with that collar, and he won't even leave your side. Has anybody ever seen that? Yeah. When you're pheasant hunting? Well, And I'm... so now you have not taught. I've seen it a hundred times by different people, not us. But now you're making that dog collar-wise. You're not teaching that dog anything. You're teaching that dog to be scared to death of the collar and don't even want to move when they have it on them. Because you have not taught that dog what's expected of him. For number one and number two he has no idea why he's in trouble because the day before he got to chase birds and he was never taught how to deal with that pressure mentally so when you have the collar on him he won't even leave your side when you have the collar off of him you can't even catch him hmm. yeah it, it happens every year and it's and it, it's bad deal but hmm. you know and i i hear so many people i don't even have to hunt with my dog with a collar you know he's perfect he doesn't you know, I, you know what? That's great. That that's not reality, but that that's great. And, and every dog is a little bit different. Like 
I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm sure Elliot, you you've realized this. This dog you have now is much, much different than your last dog. Yeah, night and day. Probably more horsepower. Um, just probably more everything. You know what more I mean? More everything. It's, it's yeah. Just a, she's yeah. Like more. Yeah. She's like 454 on nitrous or four wheel drive, and she's ready to roll. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, how old are they now? 10, 10, were they 10, 11 months old? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, that how, we, we're, we're training two right now that are phenomenal. Moose and Red are their names. They are phenomenal. Um, but they are a they are a ton of dogs. I mean, I'm a ton, and George's got to be like this, too. They're all like this. Her whole litter is amazing. I have one in Missouri that's being trained. It's unbelievable. There's another one in Washington that's being trained. It's unbelievable. It, it's an unbelievable litter, but it has they have a ton of horsepower. Yeah. So we've got to, you've got to get to the point where you can control that horsepower because I'm going to tell you, it's not going to get easier. Once she realizes what she's put on this earth to do, hold on, man. One thing I've been very so, pleasantly surprised about is that she doesn't seem stubborn or hard-headed or oversensitive. Her now this I'm good. not an expert trainer, but from from what I've seen of dogs, she's not oversensitive. She's level-headed. She's very trainable. Which I was worried that I would get a real stubborn dog or you know just something that was seemed really hard to train. And she doesn't seem hard to train. It's just yeah. what what should I do to get you know get the potential out of her? Yeah, and Flash and Isla, um, I ended up purchasing Flash, so I own him now. But Flash and Isla are just like that. They're Flash has got probably got more horsepower than almost any dog I, I think I've ever been around, and mm-hmm. I've been around a bunch of them. He is on the top one percentile of horsepower, but super, super trainable. And Isla's the same way. Isla's a little more level-headed, but super, super trainable. Um, so getting back to the collar conditioning, is you got to teach these dogs how to deal with that pressure a little bit. You've got to get to the point of failure almost and then teach them how to get to that point of failure stably and then move on to force fetch. Because when you get to force fetch, you're, that is a different monster. But, you're, but you've got to look at it as you're teaching these dogs how to handle mental stress for the rest of their life right now. These are the building blocks. You're, you're teaching these dogs how to learn is what you're doing. Because this is the foundation for all of it. Now I've heard and multiple you, people. You told me one thing. I've heard I've heard multiple people say you can ruin a dog with an e collar if you don't do it right. You can ruin a dog. When you hear people say that, what's yes, your you impression can. of can you ruin them? And what would I have to do to to ruin a dog? What would someone have to do to ruin a dog? Yes, you dog? absolutely, you absolutely can kill a dog's spirit with an e-collar and the people that do that are the people that have not properly taught obedience have not taught the command and they have they're a little hot-headed and they're a little you know they're, they're just they're not somebody that should have one in their hands and they get frustrated very easily and they just start pushing buttons mm-hmm. and the more frustrated they get they push buttons so they forget about the actual dog being trained, they start pushing buttons that make them feel better. So they're frying their dog and their dog doesn't know what they're supposed to do. And they get frustrated and they keep turning it up to a higher level. And the dog's just getting nailed constantly with no idea how to control it. Correct. Correct. And they've not taught that dog 
the commands properly leading into the collar. And then when the dog doesn't perform it correctly, they just turn up the heat on the collar instead of instead of thinking, okay, wait a second, is the dog confused or is the dog not trying? Mm-hmm. Completely different scenarios. And a lot of times, if the dogs are confused, you back up and you teach. If the dogs are not trying, that's when you apply pressure and you give them a little kick in the butt to get them kick-started, if that makes sense. Um, so here's so, a question on that. So with that, with what you're saying there, with uh, um, them not knowing versus not trying, and if they know what to do and they're not trying, you turn it up. I mean, from everything I've heard, you know, you try to do only when you're training, you try to do like 15-minute spurts or something like that, 10 to 15-minute yeah, spurts. Yeah, correct. And, and your collar conditioning sessions, guys, should literally be 10 or 15 minutes max. Okay. When you go into a, a collar conditioning session, you need to think in your head, you've got to have a goal. Let's just say you're working on here. And here is kind of lackadaisical to them. Yeah, they come here and they kind of trot over. And like, okay, today my goal is I ended yesterday on a three. And they did, she did, they did pretty good. So let's today, today my goal is I want to see if I can get to a high five. And I want to see if I can make this dog's response quicker with more determination to get to me. That's my goal today. And if you reach that goal in five minutes, reevaluate your goal. Okay, that went really, really well. Let's go to a six. And then get to a six. And if that does really good, stop. Stop for the day. And it could be, but don't go, don't say, I'm car conditioning today and I'm going to be out here for an hour. Do not do that. Absolutely not. So, so kind of kind of what you're saying is you can kill a dog's spirit, even if they know what they're doing, if you're doing it too long of spurts. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, dogs are not like us. You know, we used to cram for tests, and we used to cram, and, and we can learn that way. Dogs don't learn like that. They, they, they've got a 15-minute attention span at the most, especially a puppy, and – if it's a bunch of mental stress on them, which that's collar conditioning force fetch is, a bunch of mental stress on them, then now it's even worse. So if you think, well, I'm going to – and if you're stuttering like, and you're frustrated, like, that's it. He's going to learn how to hear today. And you're going to do it for 45 minutes. You are you are hurting that dog's will to learn like you have no idea. Like you are literally crushing it spirit. Because I'm going to tell you, when you're collar conditioning and and the dog is doing it, let's just say, Ellie, you're up to a five and you're using here, and her response is really good. She's digging in. She's coming to you as quickly as possible. She's got some determined momentum. She's really making an effort to get in quickly and come in really nice and come in to heel. That's when you're like, wow, good girl. All right. Give her a pat, you know, pat her on the head, pat her on the rib. That a girl. You know, that a girl. Now, with that being said, praise is a monster tool in, in training a dog. It can be good and it can be bad. That's the proper response to praise. Is when they do something right that you're working on, mentally tough on them, they do something right. You give them some praise. Now, be careful with the praise. Don't overpraise them. It's so like kids. If you're constantly telling your kids, oh, you're the greatest, oh, you're the greatest, they, they literally, they don't even listen to you anymore. 
okay? It's like nagging at They don't even listen to you. Now, if that dog tries to maybe bolt away from you when you're doing the hear command or sit and you're using pressure and the pressure's coming up and you're trying to work through it, if that dog tries to bolt away from you, now is not the time to go, oh, it's okay, come on, here, here. Now all you're doing is reinforcing that unstable response. Does that make sense? Yes. So literally you ask, you act like nothing's going on. You get the dog back in, you lower the pressure just a little bit, and you get back to a stable response, and you don't you act like nothing happened. And if you get to a stable response, and then you up the pressure just a little bit, and if the dog does a great job and handles it, that a boy, good girl, good girl. That's all you need. But if the dog tries to bolt away, you just you don't get frustrated. You don't raise your voice. You don't. You just literally pull that dog's heel. Come on, let's go, heel. Get in here. You don't make a big deal out of it because the bigger deal you make out of it, the bigger deal it becomes to the dog. And in, in, in a way, they're training you at that point. Is this all making sense? Perfectly. It's super valuable information. <laughs> I mean, I'm loving it. Clear, I, I'm clear loving as mud. I'm clear def- as mud. I'm getting it. fired up. It's uh, it's actually right now live time. It's 1023 and I'm fired up to go outside and do some training. <laughs> yeah. Dark. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm exhausted, but um, <laughs> I, I, now, one thing you said earlier, Elliot, is you, you, you work. So how our, how our deal works, how we train our dogs. The first thing that we work on is sit. Mm-hmm. The second thing we work on is here. The third thing we work on is heel. And then you can literally do anything you want to. You can work on kennel. You can work on place after those main sit, here, heel. Those are the absolute three most important things to work on in college. Okay. okay. Um, you got to be careful because I think I heard you say you put Georgie up on her place on a place board. We use place boards as well when they're young. You put her up on her place. And then you use the collar to, to teach her here from her place. I would say here, Nick, here. On her place. When she's sitting there. Okay. So I would have her sitting down and I would, well, I would, I would, she would go, I would make her go to place, which I've extended that fairly far. And then I would make her sit. And sometimes I'd have to nick her with that to sit. And then I would call her to me from her place. Okay. You've got to be careful of doing that. Here's the reason why. Place to them is where the pressure turns off. That's the no-fly zone. Okay. And what I mean by that is that is their safe place. So if you say place, Nick, or burn, place, they're trying to get to that place as quickly as possible, okay? Mm -hmm. And if they're up there... If they're up there on place, that is that's what you want. So when they're up there on place, don't give any pressure on place. If you're trying to teach them to go there, why would you give them pressure while they're there? So if I'm if I'm working on here, if I'm working on here, I just do it from the grab from from just a, any place Put that's not their place. Lead. 
Correct. Put it on a long. Put her on a long lead. Okay. Thirty footer or more. Walk around. Sit. Tell her to sit down. Walk away from her. And and on the grass, wherever you're at, and you'll say here, and you'll jerk the you'll jerk the the lead, long lead, and when it tightens up around their neck, you'll knit, continuous knit, and then you'll say here again. And it's all about timing. Timing is critical in politician. I'm talking absolutely critical. And it takes a while to get good at it. And you'll say here, you'll pull the lead. When the lead tightens up, you'll use a continuous nick, and then you let off on that, and you let off on the lead, and she should be coming at you. Okay. So it's, it's like a healing stick. You want to – it takes place with a healing stick. So when that lead tightens up, that's when they, cut, they get collar pressure. that making sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so no more of that. If she's on, yeah. So if she's on place, though, if you want to work on that, when if she's on place, you'll say here. But then when she gets off of her place, then you'll then that's usually you'll go here. Then when she gets off of her place, and then you can nick her then and say here again. Gotcha. But while she's up on place, I wouldn't use any pressure because that is her safe place. So, and then you taught her how to go to place, right, with the collar. Yeah. And you said you did that. So, think in a dog's mind. Think like a dog. I just got pressure when I was on place. Now he's telling me to go to place. Mm-hmm. Why am I going up there where I just got pressure? Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. What so What the, if she gets same, to place uh, but she doesn't sit? Sort of. And I want her to sit on place. Do I? Is yeah, that okay to pressure that? Hello. Hey, it looks like we lost you there for a second. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> so we could hear you um, all the way through, but I'm trying to remember where we. Uh... Yeah, we're talking about going to place and on place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I've, so, yeah, so yeah. let me ask a quick question about that same topic. So, if I'm sending her to place, she's not that quick once she gets to place about sitting down. Can I give her a nick when she Walk jumps over. to place but isn't sitting? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Um, okay. I would walk over there, maybe get a healing stick or something. I would walk over to her and say sit and, and, and give her a little whack of that healing stick or something. Okay. I would right now, now, now later in later when she is an older dog and a little bit later in her life, I have no problems with that. With, with e-call, if you say sit and she's not sitting, like when you're hunting or whatever, so I know what you're trying to do. But in this phase of her life, Everything maybe it's got to be black and white to them, okay? So, and if she's not sitting, just walk over there and make her sit, okay? And then, then walk away. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but later in life, I have no problem. <laughs> so this is this is um, probably a super novice question with with that uh with what you got going on there. But with the the healing stick, and you say go over there and whack them. Where are you whacking them? <laughs> on on that like the muscly side of like her leg. Her back, her back muscle, like her butt, like okay, her butt, like, like right like under the, the muscle part to the to the right or left of the tail, and a little yeah, below that, and the muscle part. Now, be careful, don't hit hips, and and, and I'm not, and, and guys, I'm not saying to do it hard. I'm just saying get their attention, sit down, whack, 
you know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm going to tell you that healing stick, if you use it correctly, it's a great tool. You know, like, oh boy. And it's just like dad. You hear his, when you were a kid and you heard his belt coming off, you're like, oh, shit. I did it now. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's the same. It's the same. It's yeah, the same thing. I think Elliot actually so, keeps a healing stick in his kitchen for his kids when they get out of line. Let, let me tell you, let me tell you something like funny that. about that. Okay, so I had this uh, e-collar coming in the mail, and I've got a 12-year-old daughter who is extremely feisty little child. And I kept telling her when I got this e-collar, I was going to strap it on her. And uh, I was going on and on and on about how bad I wished it was legal to use an e-collar on her and stuff. Of course, I would never do this. But I think I kind of convinced her that I was actually going to do it because I got that e-collar. And I, once I got it, I snuck up behind her and I started to put her in her neck. She grabbed that thing and screamed and like slammed it down on the ground and started crying. And my mother-in-law was right there at the time. And <laughs> I felt like the biggest <laughs> ass. <laughs> and I had to apologize to her, tell her how I was just joking, how I would never strap an e-collar on her. <laughs> so, you're, so you're saying, let's back up, so you're saying that's not legal? I, I'm saying I wish it was <laughs> No, you know the thing about you know, and the thing about um, e-collar stuff is there's some very good literature out there on e-collars. Um, the Chris Aiken videos, Duck Dog Basics One and Two, Three, those are nice. Those are good. The anything Mike Lardy information about e-collar conditioning is really good. Um, Evan Graham, Smart Works has got some pretty good info in there as well on e-collar conditioning. Um, so if you guys want any literature or anything or videos, those are good ones to to go to to get going on this. Um, Freddie King has got some good ones on on the Retriever Trainer on his website. Those are good ones. Um, everybody does it a little bit different. I do it much. I do it differently than Freddie does it. Um, I believe. Ellie and I have talked about. It. I do a little bit different. I don't mm-hmm. follow. I have my own program that I've developed over 20 years. So I do. Everybody does it a little bit different. Yeah. The 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 only thing that you're not going to read in a video or watching a video or reading a book or anything like that is what to do when the dog gets squirrely, and, and it's going to happen. And that's something that you just need to work through yourself and 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 figure it out. And I think Mike Lardy's stuff is really good. I think he does talk about that just a little bit about how the dog is picking up its pace and trying to trying hard and and that sort of thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so get some of that stuff and watch it and listen to it. Or maybe if you have a, a real a good pro in the, in the area, go you know seek some help and some advice because I, I can't explain to you. And we're not even enough time to talk about horse fest tonight, and that's that could be a whole weekend seminar, but (laughs) I I, I can't stress enough about color conditioning is all about not getting frustrated as as a trainer. It's, it's about recognizing effort and lack of effort. It's like giving you effort and you, that's what you want. If they're giving you effort, you praise or you reward. If they're not giving you effort and you know for 100% sure you know what they need, they, they know this command, that's when you add pressure, okay? If 
it's lack of effort, it's pressure. And now if they're confused, if you read that they're confused, that's what you need to teach. Okay. And, and as a trainer, you've got to figure that out. Okay. And, and I always tell people error on the side of caution. Try not to misread your dog and say, I'm just going to put, I'm adding pressure. That's all there is to it. If you think they're confused, go with they're confused, okay? And then maybe seek some help, talk to some people, figure it out maybe. And then they'll say, nah, they're just giving you some lack of effort. You need to bump it up a little bit, okay? That is a major deal. That's very hard for people to read. Um, another thing you need to also understand is in, in collar conditioning and in dog training in general, timing is of the utmost importance. I, I can't even stress. How, how much timing is. Sit, Nick, sit. Here, Nick, here. It's all about timing. And, and, and if you time it correctly, you can really communicate to the dog what you want. Okay? Um, another thing is very, very important, and this is one of the biggest faults I see in a lot of, of amateur trainers that love their dog. Everybody loves their dog. I get it. I, I totally get it. You have to look at this. You've got to take your mommy goggles off. This is not your daughter. This is not your son. This is an animal that you're training, and it's up to you to give best effort, unbiased opinion, and unbiased judgment, and train the dog you're training. Realize it's a dog, and quite honestly, you guys, some of this stuff's life and death. If they break, they get, they get shot. So you have to understand that. And you may not like to do it. It may not be fun. You know, I didn't like to spank my kids' butt when they were little, but they got it. I didn't enjoy it. But it makes them who they are. And and, and to deal, the dogs to deal with this pressure, mental stress, you are doing them a disservice if you don't do this correctly. And I I can't tell you how easy this is going to make their life down the road in future advanced training if you learn you teach them to deal with this stuff well this has been a wealth of information and and i think it's come across crystal clear i mean to me i feel like i'm hoping that i'm correct and i feel like i fully understand what you're saying so with back to my personal experience with georgie i feel like i thought i was done but I've, i've done like one baby step it was what i've really done and I need to go back and yep. do redo what I've done, except try to increase the pressure um, and build that mental toughness. Now, when I go back out and I start this tomorrow, should I just focus on one command, or is it okay for me to do sit here and heal all I would, three? I would. I would focus on one command. Okay. I would let's just let's do two because, and you're not going to school right now, so let's do a, let's do two sessions tomorrow. 15 minutes max okay. of sit. Of sit. Got it. And you just continue with Nick. Walk her around. Sit. Nick. Sit. Okay? Get her to tr- and try to come up the scale on the collar. Yep. Now, with that being said, make sure you start the session with plenty of couple, two or three fun bumpers. Do your session. End on a good, good positive note. Couple fun bumpers, and let's be done. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then, and, and then, I think you should do two sessions of sit until you can work up the pressure. Now she may yip and yipe. Yeah. 
but that's just noise. Realize that. That's just noise. Okay. And just because they're yipping and yiping, that's just a response. I have a dog right now laying here in my house who's a Grand Hunter and Retriever champion with two Master National passes, a super, super, super nice dog, and he's a fabulous animal. And if you nick him on a two or a nine, it's the same response. Hmm. It's the same. He yips on everything. But that's just who he is. Yeah. So that's just noise. I'm just going to ignore okay. that. I'm going to ignore it, but pay attention to it, but ignore it. Pay attention to it, but pay attention to their body language yeah. and their responses. Yes. When they get unstable, back down the pressure a little bit, teach them to be stable, and then move back up. Gotcha. Hey, how, how would you, I know we were supposed to talk about force fetch, but I'm glad we spent this much time on e-collar because it's fascinating to me. What would you think about coming back on again soon and doing a whole session on force fetch? Absolutely. I'm in guys. And, and the reason why we're talking about force fetch now is there's some trainers out there that they do obedience, then they force fetch, and then they call a condition. I'm the different, I do obedience. Then I call our condition, and then I and then I force fetch, because at the end of force fetch, Elliot, and you guys out there listening, you're going to do a thing called collar fetch, and instead of the ear pinch and all that stuff, you're going to use the e collar. You're going to say fetch, and you're going to give collar pressure, and then you're going to say fetch again to try to get the dog's response to be really fast, mm -hmm. just like your sits and hears and heels and all that stuff. So you're going to use that you're going to use a collar fetch at the end of force fetch to solidify it you're going to do walking fetch you're going to do collar fetch you're going to do all these things so instead of doing force fetch then stopping your force fetch to do collar conditioning and then coming back to collar fetch my program goes you're already collar conditioned you go right into force fetch you don't have to stop or anything you go right into collar fetch and then you're off and running so that's why we're talking about call conditioning before we're talking about force fetch. If that makes sense. It's yep. more of a, to me, in my mind, it works better on the timeline for me. Awesome. Well, I think, uh, you know, that's probably a good point to go ahead and wrap it off. Like Elliot was saying, uh, um, definitely a wealth of knowledge and information there. We appreciate you coming on and um, sharing that with us and, um, definitely let's let's get it planned for you to come on and uh, we'll talk uh, force fetch and you know help Elliot get that uh, <laughs> lined up for him and Georgie going into season uh, strong here heck yeah heck yeah and then, you know we can talk about a little bit of anything but um, and if anybody listening out there wants to ask some questions or whatever just jump on our Facebook page Flatland Kennels Inc we do a lot on our Facebook page. Send me a message. I'll try to do my best to answer any questions, that sort of thing. Um, but this is a very, very important part of, of Georgie's life and young God's life that needs to be done right. Well, I awesome. appreciate all of the information, man. That was, I can't tell you how valuable that was to me. So I, I would be lying if Good. I said I didn't Good. strategically plan this topic <laughs> for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? And you know what you should do, Elliot, is Pat, when you're doing this, um, I'd like to see I'd like to see you doing this. So I'd love to for your daughter, your wife, or somebody to take a video of you doing this, working up the scale, looking down the scale, and one and, I, and send it to me. I want to look at it. 
Okay. I'll I'll video the session one of the I'll video one of the two sessions tomorrow. Because I've I've got the I've got the Georgie vlog videos on YouTube, but those are such edited snapshots that they I'm sure it wouldn't give you the full picture. Yeah. I wanna see I don't need all the touchy feely writing and yeah. stuff looking my face video. I wanna see the nuts and bolts of this deal. Yep. I will do it. Training and I'll just watch it while I'm training. I will do it Perfect. and I'll, Thank I'll you send guys that over very to you. Much. Thank you guys. It was a pleasure. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and sign off. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Chris from Flatlander Kindles. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks, guys.